description is like spice. Too much or too many spices overpowers the entire dish. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And no, I didn't read that. You did too. I didn't. I closed my eyes, and then I could actually see it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. If uh, if you couldn't tell, and obviously you couldn't from Taylor's uh, recitation there, um, we are also doing video on this show, and the video will be available where, Taylor? On Patreon. Patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. And as always, you don't need to be a patron. It'll be in the public area, and so you can go there and watch it. Or if you're just a listener, we'll try and uh, give you as much detail as possible. But I think it's always better to kind of watch along as Taylor goes through this. Uh, before we get to it, really quickly, some chit-chat. You and I had like a little bit of smack talk a week or so ago talking about turkey, where you said that you were a really good <laughs> turkey chef, and I got my hackles up. And I'm like, I'm a really good turkey chef, and you instantly backed off. So I think I win that. How was your um, turkey? It's the best turkey we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I didn't win. So we'll just leave it at that. All right. And I will agree that I may not be the best turkey chef. I think what I'm really good at is the other stuff that goes with the turkey, the stuffing and the potatoes and the gravy and all of the stuff that makes Thanksgiving Thanksgiving aside from turkey. What did you have as side dishes? Um, well, I was really fortunate that I didn't have to do most of the cooking this year. Oh. Uh, so... My the thing that I do every year is the turkey and the stuffing. Okay. The rest of it is whatever somebody else brings, if somebody else brings, and so that's my thing. So that's what I did this year: is the turkey and the stuffing. And actually, um, the as as I heard somebody quip, the the whole point of Thanksgiving dinner is to have turkey for leftovers. Yeah. For sandwiches, like it's it's the way to make the best sandwiches or something like that. So I, I did two. I did an extra one Ooh. since not that much more work goes into doing two than to one. So I was like, I'll just do two. So we have a freezer full of leftovers. And how did you do two? Is your, is your oven big enough to do two? Well, I do them one one day and one the next day. Oh, but okay. like all buying right. all the supplies and, mm -hmm. you know, just having everything available. I brine the turkeys for 24 hours in advance. I cook them on really, really high heat, like 500 degrees for the first 20 minutes, and it seals in all that juice. So when the turkeys are finished, there's almost nothing in the bottom of the roasting pan. It's all still, all that moisture oh, okay. by the turkey and all the flavor and everything. So um, it's, it's a process. And so since I'm going to be doing that process anyway, what's an extra turkey? All right. Gotcha. So you and I go about it completely different, so, or differently, so I'm going to say that we both win. And just we'll leave it at Absolutely. that. We'll call it. Yeah. We'll call it a dead heat, and pick this, this up again next year. This is not a zero. This is not a what is it? A zero sum game where one person loses and it's, the other one. It's like, like five year old soccer. We're both. <laughs> yes, we all get participation <laughs> trophies. <laughs> all right, Taylor. We're doing video. What are we doing today? 
Well, I have a piece that was sent in by um, an aspiring author, a new writer um, named S.M. Fetter. I think I pronounced that right. Sorry if I got it wrong. And um, he's only been writing for in like in earnest for about six months. He's self-published um, some short stories on Amazon, but they haven't really gotten any traction. And so he sent in this piece. It's um, noir. And I, I will read some more about it uh, when we get to that that part. And so I think what we really have here is a three episode lineup because it's I think to go over it all and to keep things not going into hour long episodes, I think we, we're going to need three episodes to do it all. OK, sounds good. And how do we start? Do you want me to read the original piece? Well, let me give a little back story, little story background and the main issue that um, SM was uh, asking for help on, and then you can read the original and we'll take it from there. Okay. So the story background is this is an opening of a short story, approximately 5,000 words total, that falls into a hard-boiled noir genre. Hard-boiled noir genre. That's a tongue twister, believe it or not. It follows a P.I. that is hunting down a missing girl in a sketchy section of town. I'm hoping to build up a character study of the P.I.'s mindset as he deals with the horrendous habits and behaviors of humankind day in and out. Being noir, the story progressively gets darker and more twisted and does not end well for our hero. The main issue, I'm trying to paint a cinematic scene and at the same time establish the protagonist and his worldview. I'm looking to introduce him as a man that is bitter and disdainful of the people who live in this horrid situation, but at the same time still retains some of his heart. Later in the story, he makes some very dark choices that he believes are in the best interest of his client, but they are horrible acts that he will have to live with. I hope from this opening scene he's established and his later decisions seem organic. Other concerns include whether the writing is too dramatic or overwrought and, of course, anything you notice. Are there any language warnings? Because I have not looked at this yet. I'm just going to read it. I don't think so. Okay. Um, granted, I have a huge potty mouth. so <laughs> Yes, you do. My <laughs> eyes just kind of glaze over. I don't even notice it. But as far as I can remember, there's nothing like that in here that we need to worry about. Okay. Are you ready for me to start reading? Absolutely. Okay. The streets were lined with savage, broken animals. Nomadic beasts vibrated with a disquieting energy in the rain. They shivered from the cold, from hunger, from the need that teared at their soul. Their hair, various in color and style, all shared the common signs of damage and filth. The clothes that contained their bodies were specters of the original design. Stained rags and stripped, strips of knit fabric wrapped around anorexic mannequin frames. Shoes, a luxury too few afforded, hid blackened sores and burgundy red welts. The rain pounded against the asphalt like a drunken stepfather, unleashing his self-hatred against his unwanted child. The droplets exploded into crystallized shards that reflected in the gray city before collecting into small, undulating pools. Most of the junkies on the strip seemed unaware of the rain or my presence as I navigated through them lost inside their stoned minds to individualistic realities. A few of the more conscious cast their eyes over my body, perhaps seeking out some lost connection to a bit of humanity before quickly averting their gaze. 
My presence reflected a reality they did not wish to acknowledge. Incoherent voices called out for money, for drugs. The sounds guttural and alien. Heather, what happened to you, kid? I ask myself, what were you trying to escape from that was so horrible that this seemed like a better option? I nodded my head at a pair of officers parked off in the alleyway in their cruiser. They ignored me, their attention invested in a bedraggled, rail-thin man dancing at the head of their car with the downpouring rain. The man shuffled barefoot in the puddle, kicking up waves of water with bandaged toes. Long, scraggly gray hair swung counter to his head shakes. The man's voice warbled a tuneless call, a miserable simulation of music. The cruiser's headlights glowed in the mist, casting a spotlight on the pop star. His shadow cut long, unnatural shapes across the splintered ground. He screamed at the top of his lungs, his voice cracking like a pubescent boy. One, two, three big jumps in the puddle. Splashes crested the edge of the pothole before rolling back into the pool. A final girlish ballerina twirl ended in an off-balance curtsy. Arms outstretched as if to say, Ta-da! but with legs so unsteady in the pose that the arms waved in dizzying circles as he attempted to stay on his feet. The two officers laughed and clapped their hands inside their warm, dry environment. The driver's hand reached for something below the dash and reemerged with a cigarette clasped between his fingers. He waved it at the front of his face, eyes aglow with a disgusting pleasure. The window slowly rolled down and he tossed it at the man the monkey getting his peanut reward. The bum's face grew wide as he tried to catch the tumbling stick while still in his curtsy. The sudden reaching arm movement threw him further off balance and man and cigarette alike crashed onto the street. Muddy brown water splashed over him. His bony fingers clawed at the ground, broken glass and small bits of sharp gravel cutting. He jumped up with a quick start and flashed a toothy grin at the officers. A bloody red film coated the chiclets of teeth that were still in his mouth. In the clawing hand, he waved the cigarette, wet and mangled, back at the officer. He began another form of dance, spinning in place, patting his body all over. This time it was not for show, this dance was for the ever-elusive fire implement. He reached, dip, he reached deep inside his pants in search, deeper than pockets would actually allow. I can only assume the existence of such large holes at the bottom of each pocket that they have ceased to be. Depressed at watching this routine, I walked up to the man, taking out my World War II-era Zippo, a parting gift from my deceased father. The battered lid flicked open with its distinctive clicking noise. It lit easily with a roll of my thumb despite the rain, and I held it in front of the man's face. He noticed me for the first time and jumped back in surprise. Dilated pupils stared deeply into the flame, its light dancing in the black pits. He gasped at me, and I got a much closer look at the dental nightmare than I cared to. The smell of cat urine waked, whopped, the smell of cat urine wafted off his breath. He put the bent cigarette in his mouth. Crusty yellow scum crumbled off the corners of his wormy lips. 
His head made multiple darting motions toward the flame, the tip of the cigarette not once coming near its target. Hold still, I tell him. He glared and took a few more stabs at the fire, missing wide each time. Surrendering, he hunkered down and sulked. When he was still as he'd when he was as still as he'd ever be, I placed the flame over the end of his cigarette. He inhaled and breathed out a belch of smoke. He made a yipping noise, reminding me of one of those annoying small dogs in a high society. He made a yipping noise, reminding me of one of those annoying small dogs a high society girl might carry around in her purse. The man turned on his heels and bolted down the street. His legs made such outlandish long strides, I could practically see the white cartoon smoke trail coming off him before he disappeared down a side street. He howled at the rain the whole way, waving the lit cigarette over his head like an Olympic torch. Startled junkies came out of their haze long enough to screech back before nodding back under the barbiturate spell. I looked back at the officers in the car. They gave me cold, hard stares angry with me for ruining their evening show. The driver rolled back up his window, then raised his hands towards me with a middle finger in full salute. The car rumbled to a start and peeled out of the alleyway, nearly knocking me down. Okay. The tires kicked a splattering of muddy filth onto my trousers and shoes. Those were the good guys. As far as John Q. Public is concerned, this was just another part of town. Run down, unlivable, save for the most desperate and heavily avoided, but the assumption was that police, order, rules, and laws still applied here, even if poorly followed. They were wrong. The truth was, this area had been surrendered. It had been written off and was an island of anarchy unto itself. The police still rolled through here, but it's just for appearance. They did not engage. Their presence was something to point at when a journalist made their once-a-year report about the carnage and overdose rates. The truth was, people did not want to know what was going on here. Out of sight, out of mind. As long as the problem contained itself to these few blocks, it's a problem that did not exist in their reality. The only time there was an outrage was when the invisible wall was crossed be it crime spilling across the border into the real world where eyes glued to TV screens had difficulty overlooking it, or that greatest of human tragedy when a pretty white blonde girl disappeared into the murk and was not heard from again. I hated being here. I spent too much time on these streets, running down bond jumpers, tracking dealers, and returning rich kids who'd lost their way back to their families. When the cops can't or won't do anything, men such as myself are brought in to pick up the slack. It's my job. I do it. But that doesn't mean I liked being here more than anyone else. I'm still human, though it doesn't always feel that way. Okay, so with this, sh with this piece... I offered to the author to do something a little different than we normally do. Um, my first issue with this, I think really my biggest issue with this, was um, description. That description is like spice. And 
too much or too many spices overpowers the entire dish. And this is like, I'm going to read now what I wrote him in in terms of description. I said, when everything is detail, nothing is detail. Also, description is boring. We want to see characters in motion. We want to be present as the character collides with the environment. And so as a general rule, we want only enough description to give the reader a sense of what that environment looks, smells, sounds, tastes like. And we want to do that using as few words as possible. When a scene is properly spiced, the reader's mind is flooded with vivid detail. As a reader, it can seem as if this sense of detail was created by describing every little thing, but it's not. This sense of detail is created by removing everything extraneous, then setting the character loose to bump against and collide with those details, and then letting the reader's imagination fill in the blanks. What you've attempted to do in this scene is create the feeling you feel when you imagine this part of town but you spend so many words describing it that there's no room for reader imagination to take over and no room to feel and no room for the character to move within it. We need description to know what the character is reacting to, and we can get more description as backdrop as the character is in motion and interacting with that environment. To that issue specifically, if you go back and read your original, you'll notice that although there's a sense of place itself, there's no sense at all of where the character is in this place. We don't know where he is in relation to what he's seeing. We don't know what he's doing because he's not in motion. So what we've done is gone through, so what I've done is gone through and marked out every detail that I felt could be excised without sacrificing the sense of place or the story. I may have deleted over half the word count, but don't panic. This is not permanent and you can undo it all if you want. I've left all the excisions exactly as they were, they were without any editing so you can see them raw. After you have a chance to look over them, all that, then I recommend you save a backup copy so you have my original edits in case something happens. And then accept all the changes. And what's left is the basis for your scene. It will be rough, of course, because there's been no editing to clean up what the excisions have left behind. It'll have gaps and will need to be rewritten to make it flow. But that's your raw material now, your bones to build with. So his challenge was to take that material that was left and use it as the basis to get the characters in motion. And that's part of what's going to be a little different about what we're doing now. The other thing that um, is that I felt that so much detail, like there was a lot of words um, that go into... Um, the bum with the cigarette and, and all of that. And it, it's like we've got all these words of exquisite detail in which nothing happens. And so from a writer's perspective, it doesn't feel that way because there's so much to set the scene for how awful a place this is. But from the reader's perspective, nothing happens because it's all just backdrop. Character has to be in motion. Character has to be front and center. Character has to be more than an observer, and that's what this piece is. We're observing, and we're not actually doing anything. So I gave him the material back with lots of stuff cut out, and that's what we're going to next. And we're going to go over that and why I took out what I took out. Um, the other thing that I, I mentioned to him is that the way that that this is written, the most powerful, the powerful part of the piece is at the very end. It's like 
we finally, up until the very end, we don't even know anything about this character. And then his voice says, I hated being here. I'd spent too much time on these streets, running down bond jumpers, tracking dealers, and returning rich kids who'd lost their way back to their families. When the cops can't or won't do anything, men such as myself are brought in to pick up the slack. It's my job. I do it. But that doesn't mean I like being here more than anyone else. I'm still human, though it doesn't always feel that way. That right there is character. That lets us see a glimpse of this character, who he is. That's his voice. And we went through all these words to actually get a feeling of who that character was, but it's at the very end. And that's... That's what we're going to try and and change that from the very beginning, we get a sense of this character, because that was one of the concerns that we wanted to establish character. Right. So that's what we're starting with as we go on. One of the best things that um, this author has going for him is he really does have a good command of using language and um, yeah, so it's it's going to be really cool if we can just get the description down. So we're going to switch now over to um, the version that I sent back to him saying, here's what I would suggest cutting out and giving him the raw material for his first draft that he would then, he's then going to send me a rewrite. And that's where we're going to pick up our next show is with the rewrite. So at the, the very first word that I uh, crossed out was the streets were lined with savage broken animals. And I crossed out savage and I would have crossed out broken, but this was not because it's unnecessary description. It's because we don't know who this voice is that's talking to us yet. And when we start off calling human beings, animals and savages, the reader isn't really sure if that's the author or if that's the character. And I, I felt like that's a really big mistake to start off that way until we've had a chance to actually see, get a sense of who this character is. So that's why I did it that. I scratched out nomadic beasts vibrated with a disquieting energy in the rain. I left. They shivered from cold hunger from the need at their soul. I removed their hair, various in color and style, all shared the common signs of damage and filth. The clothes that contained their bodies were specters of the original designs. Because I left stained rags and strips of knit fabric wrapped around anorexic mannequin frames. That right there is enough detail. We don't need all the rest of it. Shoes, a luxury scratched out. Shoes, a luxury too few afford, afforded, hid blackened sores and burgundy red welts. Um, two reasons for scratching out that last. We don't need the luxury too few afforded. It's redundant. But if they're hiding blackened sores and burgundy red welts, how does the character know that? It's not something that can be seen right then and then there. Then it's um, it it's not. Um, I don't have the technical word for it, but he's just we're assuming, and that's showing something that the character can't see. I left. Rain pounded the asphalt like a drunken stepfather, unleashing self-hatred against his unwanted child. That's enough detail about the rain. I scratched out. The droplets exploded into crystallized shards that reflected the gray city before collecting into small undulating pools. If that was in the middle, I mean, it's beautiful language, but it's description that's not needed in a place where we still haven't gotten any movement, any action. We're just having 
stuff shown to us. Most of the, I'm scratched out. Most of the junkies on the strip seemed unaware of the rain or my presence as I navigated through them, lost inside their stone minds to individualistic realities. A few, and then I left, the conscious cast their eyes over my body, which was taken out of a few of the more conscious cast their eyes over my body, perhaps seeking out some lost connection to a bit of humanity before quickly averting their glance. My presence reflected a reality they did not wish to acknowledge. That last part, my presence reflected a reality. Again, we're imposing onto their thoughts. We don't know that unless there's this character has had conversations with them or has some way of knowing we're interjecting and that it's a point of view uh, issue. I left. Incoherent voices called out for money for drugs. The sounds guttural and alien. That right there is a really good description that summarizes almost the entire paragraph in very few words. Heather, I left. What, Heather, what happened to you, kid? I asked myself. What were you trying to escape from that was so horrible that this seemed like the better option? I nodded my... Um, I'm going to tell you in a second what I scratched out. The next sentence says, I nodded my head at a pair of officers parked off the alleyway in their cruiser. They ignored me, their attention invested in a bedraggled rail-thin man dancing at the head of their car in downpouring rain. So I scratched off, I nodded my head at, because generally, first of all, you don't have to say, I nodded my head. You can say, I nodded. The my head part is redundant. But that that I nodded my head at is just a way of of an, a redundant way of showing description. All we need is a pair of officers parked off the alleyway, a bedraggled rail thin man danced at the head of their car. We don't need in the downpouring rain because we already know that the rain is downpouring. The man shuffled barefoot in a puddle, kicking up waves of water with bandaged toes. I deleted the man shuffled and left barefoot in a puddle, kicking up waves with bandaged toes. We don't need waves of water because if water is redundant, we know that that's what the waves are of. So just the, the leftover from that paragraph would read, a pair of officers parked off the, the alleyway, a bedraggled rail-thin man danced at the head of their car, barefoot in a puddle, kicking up waves with bandaged toes. The man's voice warbled a tuneless call, a miserable simulation of music. The cruiser's headlights glowed in the mist, casting a spotlight on the pop star. His shadow cut long, unnatural shapes across the splintered ground. The next paragraph, which uh, said he screamed at the top of his lungs, and it goes on talking about the way that he danced. I took all of that out because this is a character that is just under observation. He's not the main part of the story, and we're investing all these words in describing a character that is more or less irrelevant to the story. It's He's there to show us how the main character feels about this situation. So those details are redundant. They, they are a lot of words, and so I just took them all out. In this next paragraph, it talks about the two, the two officers laughed and clapped their hands inside their warm, dry environment. I deleted and clapped their hands. I deleted for where the driver reached for something below the dash and reemerged. I deleted, waved in front of his face, eyes aglow with a disgusting pleasure. Pleasure. The window slowly rolled down. And I did that. I, the part about uh, eyes aglow with disgusting pleasure, 
um, that actually does get inserted again into the second draft. But I took it out in this case because how can you know how that person feels? So we're ascribing that emotion to another character. It's a, po- it's, a, it's a point of view thing. You'd have to have an omniscient point of view to know how that character is feeling. Um, so the, the essence of this paragraph that is left with the details is the two officers laughed inside their warm, dry environment. The driver's hand emerged with a cigarette clasped between his fingers. He tossed it at the man, the monkey getting his peanut reward. So essentially that entire paragraph lost no punch and is cut in half. The next paragraph, the bum's face grew wide as he tried to catch the tumbling stick. While still in his curtsy, the sudden reaching arm movement threw him further off balance and man and cigarette alike crashed onto the street. Muddy brown water splashed over him. His bony fingers clawed at the ground, broken glass and small bits of sharp gravel cutting. He jumped up with a quick start and flashed a toothy grin at the officers. A bloody red film coated the chiclets of teeth that were still in his mouth. In the clawed hand, he waved the cigarette, wet and mangled, back at the officer. Out of all of that, what I have left is the bum tried to catch the tumbling stick and crashed onto the street. His bony fingers clawed at the ground, broken glass, and small bits of sharp gravel cutting. He waved the cigarette wet and mangled back at the officer. About half the words. All right, let me me ask you a question here as you're going through this. I'm just curious about your process because there are things that are obviously going to be changed in a later draft, but you're not dealing with any of that right now. You're just cutting out material to get it down to its essence, and then you're going to tailorize it, for lack of a better word. Well, actually, he's going to. What what I'm doing is giving him Mm -hmm. the essence of what his draft should be, and then he's going to clean it up for me, and then I'm going to tailorize the cleanup. Okay, so you're essentially, you're adding nothing. Maybe you've moved a couple things around, but this is all deletion. Yes, I haven't even moved anything around. Okay. The only thing I'll sometimes do is read the tense of a word differently in order to smooth the transition between the, the cuts, the removals. Okay. So in the next paragraph, it says, he began another form of dance, spinning in place, patting his body all over. This time it was not for show. This dance was for the ever-elusive fire implement. He reached deep inside his pants in search, deeper than pockets would actually allow. I can only assume the existence of such large holes at the bottom of each pocket that they have ceased to be. All that's left there is he reached deep inside his pants in search. We don't need all the rest of it. We just want to see him reaching for something. Um, The next paragraph. Depressed, Depressed at watching this routine, I walked up to the man, taking out my World War II era Zippo, a parting gift from my deceased father. The battered lid flicked open with its distinctive clicking noise. It lit easily with the roll of my thumb despite the rain, and I held it in front of the man's face. What's left there is, I walked up to the man, taking out my World War II era Zippo, a parting gift from my deceased father. The battered lid flicked open with with a distinctive click. I held it in front of the man's face. He noticed me for the first time and jumped back in surprise. Dilated people stared deeply into the flame, its light dancing in the black pits. He gasped at me, and I got a much closer look at the dental nightmare than I cared to. The smell of cat urine wafted off his breath. He put the bent cigarette in his mouth. 
Crusty yellow scum crumbled off the corners of his wormy lips. His head made multiple darting motions toward the flame, the tip of the cigarette not once coming near its target. All that's left there is dilated pupils stared deeply into the flame. He put the bent cigarette in his mouth. I cut out all the rest. Some of that does get added back in with the redraft that gets sent back to me, and I don't cut it out the next time around because I figured if the author wants it there, that's his work. It's not mine. But I still would have um, minimized some of that because it feels like it's, it's unnecessary. Next paragraph. Hold still, I tell him. He glared and took a few more stabs at the fire, missing wide each time. Surrendering, he hunkered down and sulked. When he was as still as he'd ever be, I placed the flame over the end of his cigarette. He inhaled and breathed out a belch of smoke. He made a yipping noise, reminding me of one of those annoying small dogs a high society girl might carry around in her purse. The man turned on his heels and bolted down the street. His legs made such outlandish long strides I could practically see the white cartoon smoke trail coming off him before he disappeared down a side street. He howled at the rain the whole way, waving the lit cigarette over his head like an Olympic torch. Startled junkies came out of their haze long enough to screech back before nodding back under the barbiturate spell. What's left is, hold still, I tell him. I placed the flame over the end of his cigarette. He inhaled and breathed out a belch of smoke. The man turned on his heels and bolted down the street. How he howled at the rain the whole way, waving the lit cigarette over his head like an Olympic torch. Startled junkies come out of their haze long enough to screech back before nodding back under the barbiturate spell. Half the words. The next paragraph mostly stays. I look back at the officers in the car. They gave me cold, hard stares, angry with me for ruining their evening show. The driver rolled back up his window, then raised his hands towards me, middle finger in full salute. The car rumbled to a start and peeled out of the alleyway, nearly knocking me down. The tires kicked a splattering of muddy filth onto my trousers and shoes. Those were the good guys. So I removed, I looked back at, I, lo I removed they, for they gave me cold, hard stares. The officers in the car gave me cold, hard stares. That cut those two sentences in half. Angry with me. Oh, wait. The, I um, removed the driver rolled back up his window. The driver rolled up his window. I removed hand towards me with, um, then raised his hands toward me with the middle finger in salute, to he then raised his middle finger in full salute. The other four words were redundant. Um, the rest of that paragraph stayed the way it was. As far as John Q. Public is concerned, this was just another part of town, run down, unlivable, save for the most desperate and heavily avoided. But the assumption was that police, order, rules, and laws still applied here, even if poorly followed. They were wrong. The truth was this area had been surrendered. It'd been written off and was an island of anarchy unto itself. The police still rolled through here, but it's just for appearances. They did not engage. Their presence was something to point at when a journalist made their once-a-year report about the carnage and overdose rates. The truth was, people did not want to know what was going on here, out of sight, out of mind. As long as the problem contains itself to these few blocks, it's a problem that did not exist in their reality. The only time there was an outrage was when the invisible wall was crossed, be it crime spilling across the border into the real world where eyes glued to TV screens had difficulty overlooking it, or that greatest of human tragedy when a pretty white blonde girl disappeared into the murk and was not heard from again. So what is left after the deletions is, as far as John Q. Public is concerned, this was just another part of town, run down. They were wrong. This area had been surrendered, written off, 
an island of anarchy into itself. The police rolled through for appearances. As long as the problem contained itself to these few blocks, it did not exist. Outrage was when crime spilled across the border. Eyes glued to TV screens had difficult overlooking it. Or that greatest of human tragedy when a pretty white blonde girl disappeared into the murk and was not heard from again. Now, the, the last paragraph I left in its entirety because this is the paragraph that actually gives us the character. After all of that, over a thousand words of description with very little movement, very we don't know where the character is to, in almost any of that or how he relates to any of the things that he's seeing, we get this. I hated being here. I'd spent too much time on these streets running down bond jumpers, tracking dealers, and returning rich kids who'd lost their way back to their families. When the cops can't or won't do anything, men such as myself are brought in to pick up the slack. It's my job. I do it. But that doesn't mean I like being here more than anyone else. I'm still human, though it doesn't always feel that way. That paragraph is the most powerful paragraph in the whole piece. And in order to make that paragraph shine and not be buried... The goal of removing all those other words is to lead up to it, not so that it feels tacked on like an afterthought. So I sent this file as it is back to SM and he took it and sent me back a revision where he tweaked and added some stuff back in, took some stuff out. And then that is sort of the starting draft of what we're working on, on cleaning up and turning this scene into what we want to turn it into. And that will be next week's episode. Yes, it will be. All right. So happy post-Thanksgiving to you and happy post-Thanksgiving to everyone out there listening. We hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. We hope you're seeing this on video because it really is more meaningful when you can actually see it. But we understand that a lot of people are... Just can't do it because it takes actual time to sit in front of a screen and watch something as opposed to doing something else while you're listening, whether it be running, doing the dishes, or walking, whatever. I'm I'm trying, guys, to read it in such a way that your ears can get it as well as your eyes. But if you have questions or if you feel that there's something I can do to help make it easier to listen to, you know I'm always open to suggestions. And... Um, we kind of rushed through this a little bit fast because it's long and we're trying to keep the shows within a reasonable amount of time. But if you have questions on why I took out what I took out and, and more on what makes sense and doesn't, you need clarity, just feel free to call them in, e email us, post them in the fan group, etc. And um, we'll do our best to, to answer them on upcoming episodes. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with part two next Tuesday. See you guys soon.